Hello and welcome to the Artsy Podcast, where three editors take you around the art world. I'm your host, Isaac Kaplan. Joined this week, fresh from Venice, by art market editor Anna Louise Sussman. Hi, Isaac. Hey, Anna. And executive editor Alex Forbes. Hey, Isaac. Hello to both of you. So this week, we're going to be answering a big question. Why have old women replaced young men as the art world's darlings? Anna, you addressed that topic in a recent article exploring the demand for and institutional presence of long-overlooked women artists. One of the most talked about examples is Carmen Herrera, who recently had an exhibition at the Whitney, and who, I didn't know this, sold her first painting at the age of 89. Before we get to the forces driving this rise, I think a good place to begin is, why did you decide to engage with this topic? I thought about writing something on this topic when I saw mention of um, an academic paper that was being delivered at a conference by a Berlin-based writer um, named Marta Nipp. She was talking about this phenomenon and describing multiple factors that that led to the rise. Um, she and I had a really long conversation. Uh, I read her paper and, um, you know, in talking with some of my colleagues, we realized this is something uh, they've been noticing um, around the art world at art fairs. You know, you can look, there's a number of institutional uh, examples where older women have been getting retrospectives uh, often for the first time in their lives. You know, and it, it seemed an interesting question to explore, particularly, you know, I, I think I first noticed it earlier this year, sort of in the wake of um, Hillary Clinton's defeat. And it was interesting to see plaudits and accolades going towards older women in this other context when we'd just seen, you know, a woman who is widely recognized as very competent and a high quality candidate um, kind of being dismissed in favor of, you know, a, a male competitor. <laughs> so Hillary Clinton obviously isn't a, a painter or an artist. Who are some <laughs> of the older women you kind of notice cropping up who fit this example? Actually, when I first started um, learning about Artsy before I worked here, uh, one of the first artists I started following was Carol Rama. Alex had written about her in a sales report, and I looked at her work online and thought it was really compelling and just said, oh, okay, you know, that's someone I hadn't heard of. I'll follow her. Of course, she now has a huge, um, like nearly 100 works of art on display at the New Museum, just a few blocks from our offices. You know, Car Carmen Herrera, you mentioned, uh, Philida Barlow, uh, who is in the UK's um, pavilion at the Venice Biennial, um, Jetta Bratescu, who's a Romanian artist, um, you know, also I think in her 90s, um, who was recently picked up by Hauser and Wirth. Um, and, you know, the paper, Marta's paper has a number of examples, but th those were just some that come to mind and who I've seen a lot at the fairs lately myself. Alex, when did this trend start to emerge? So I think if you look back to the decline of young male artists in the market for these uh, kind of hot bro painters uh, in 2014, starting then, um, you saw people putting renewed focus on modern art, modern kind of and, and post-war art more broadly um, in 2015, you know, as uncertainty continually fell out of the market, um, people looked more and more towards opportunities uh, where things were potentially mispriced. And, you know, I think that in, in Anna's story, she um, quotes a number of people who are talking about how kind of out of whack these women artists' prices are with their um, historical relevance. So if you look at Carol Rama, she's an interesting example of, of an artist who tracks really well to the timeline of, of these artists' rise in general. In 2014, she had this major retrospective of over 200 works that 
um, is now more or less at the new museum, but that had started in Turin, her hometown, and traveled around Europe, um, that Isabella Bortolozzi, a gallery based in Berlin, had helped to really go work with the estate and do the scholarship to figure out what, what needed to be done to, to bring her into the, these major museums. Rama was then rec- more recently picked up I believe at the end of last year, by Dominique Levy, who was then joined by Brett Gorby to form Levy Gorby, and now has you know reached huge prices. Right, and um, Marta, the person whose paper I referenced, she really highlights the demand from the collector side. You know, she she notes more broadly in the art market, you have more and more new collectors coming in, more and more wealth, and greater demand for quality art. And these women artists' work is something that dealers can offer at relatively low prices. As you were saying, they are mispriced with respect to, say, their male peers. Um, so it's something accessible, but that, you know, any dealer will, the first thing I'll tell you is, well, the quality is just unmistakable. I mean, this, you know, this work is unbelievable. As soon as I saw it, I fainted and had to be, you know, revived. <laughs> and um, and then I knew I had to represent this artist. And, um so they, they'll tell you that and then they'll say, and, and many of them will say, and I think it is still historically mispriced, but you know, there was an interesting anecdote that I included in the article where uh, a woman who works at Gallery Lelong had um, said she remembers trying to sell a Louise Bourgeois for something in sort of low to mid six figures uh, in the 90s. This was roughly around the time that Louise Bourgeois had her first retrospective um, at MoMA when she was already 70-something. And um, she said there was a huge resistance on the price of the collector to buy something for, say, around $250,000. Of course, now these things would cost probably seven figures. Um, you know, the, the demand at this point and, and the recognition that she has, um, you know, has just skyrocketed since then. But, you know, when it's someone who comes from outside of the typical canon, uh, you, you can't price them at the, the level of their male peers who, you know, were quicker to be accepted, quicker to gain that institutional recognition. Um, you know, the flip side, which isn't as big a part of the market story per se, but is, you know, works very much alongside that, is um, institutions everywhere, you know, Europe, the U.S., um, Asia, are also, I think, taking it as part of their mission to look back at their collections, um, you know, look at their educational programming and seeing where they've had blind spots. So um, Barbara Haskell, who's a curator at the Whitney, said, you know, for them, they were, when the Whitney moved museums from their Upper East Side location to Lower Manhattan, they wanted to um, take a really comprehensive inventory of what they had. They realized, for example, they didn't have a, a very strong representation of uh, Latinx artists, and they wound up wanting to do something in Carmen Herrera and realized they didn't even have one uh, piece in their collection. So they, you know, they they decided, obviously it's very important. She was Cuban-American, but living and working almost her whole life in, in New York, um, you know, it was imperative to, to get one. So alongside institutional recognition and demand, um, you, ha- you have those two factors kind of working in tandem. It's interesting because I think you sort of hit on that there's been a huge increase in prices for some of these artists late in life. And I'm kind of curious, though, if you compare them to their male contemporaries now in terms of how much they're selling for, are they equal? Are men still far outpacing women if you took like a slice of the top 10 minimalists, for example, because you mentioned Carmen Herrera? 
more broadly, I think if you look at the, say, the top 100 artists, um, you know, who fetch the highest prices at auction, there's two women um, in, in the top 100, Georgia O'Keeffe and Louise Bourgeois, who we just mentioned, you know, and both of those women have obviously been recognized for decades. So, you know, these women who are just starting to get more institutional acclaim and, uh, you know, more prominence in, in, in the collections of really high profile people. Um, you know, it could take years to see their prices really skyrocket. That said, in 2009, there was a New York Times story about Carmen Herrera and where she said her larger paintings were selling from um, $30,000 to what she called an unimaginable 44000 And she told the paper, I have more money now than I ever had in my life. When we were at Art Basel a couple weeks ago, their prices were around 750000 for a Herrera canvas. And, you know, they've, they've gone even higher at auction. You know, Carol Rama's works, um, Fergus McCaffrey, a gallerist in, in New York, said he used to buy them for... 20,000, 30,000, you know, there were uh, work selling for between 300,000, 600,000, 800,000 um, at Art Basel as well. So you can see the trajectory uh, can be very fast. That said, if um, you compare Carol Rama's work to say her peers working in, in Italy at the same time, um, you know, McCaffrey mentioned Lucio Fontana, Piero Manzoni, and Alberto Burri, and their works are routinely like sold for millions of dollars. So she's nowhere near that. Even if you look at Art Basel itself, um, you know, even the sales at a gallery like Hauser and Wirth, a Manzoni sold for around 10 million, Augustine sold for, uh, I think, around 16 million, um, and an Eva Hesse, probably a more historically canonized artist, but nonetheless, that has had much more renewed interest in, in recent years was for 2.5. You have these other artists like Anna said selling for 750, 800. So there's still a long way to go. And that's why, or at least part of the reason why there is so much demand at the moment as, as people go back and, and search for these artists. Well, I want to ask you, Alex, because it sort of seems like a paradox to me here. If collectors are looking for arbitrage, they're looking for value that has yet to, to sort of reach its full potential what happens when women artists do begin to equal in price the male artists from similar times? I mean, will the demand fall off or will there actually be because institutions will be showing their work because galleries will be really doing the, the necessary work of, of showing the importance of this artist? There'll be an acceptance that, OK, yeah, a Picasso is worth as much as, you know, a Hesse or whatever, whatever the case may be. I mean, I think there's probably a long way to go before that's the case and before we really have to worry about that too much. Um, that's a big gap to, to bridge, even as some of these artists have seen, you know, significant rises in their price to get from that just under a million level to the, to the seven figure and above level um, does take quite a bit of time. Um, you know, again, as, as Anna was saying, if you have, even if you look at when those two top auction records for women were notched, they were in 2014 and 2015. So, this is this is a relatively recent phenomenon, and so for the, the mass amount of women artists to, to reach that level will take some more time. I mean, you know, you might say that at that point, more intense interest will fall towards other marginalized groups to raise those boats as well, but I think it's it's probably too far out to really speculate too much. What would happen, do you think, then, if, let's say, the emerging market became super hot again? Would that... I'm just sort of trying to tease out if there's a moment where we can know 
when uh, the the market for these older, overlooked, historically overlooked women artists has kind of reached an escape velocity where, like some of the, their male contemporaries, the market will continue on and it's not as subject to be buffeted by kind of other forces within the art market? Or is that impossible to like be like, I, I can point to a moment where that will happen? My, my intuition is those are probably fairly different markets. The people, at least you know, the majority of the people that I know were the, that were very active in the emerging art market, um, when it was fairly, uh, buzzy and, and bubbly are just really not transacting nearly as much right now. Um, and it's these other kinds of collectors that are coming in and, and operating on a much higher level. I mean, you know, if emerging art was topping out at 120 and you have people operating at 800,000 for, for these artists, it's a, it's a different kind of buyer. So what, you know, ideally you're going to see is all of these markets operating simultaneously and you're starting to see that happen a fair bit right now, um, you know, across many of the major fairs and and auction categories even. There aren't as much of, of big spikes in certain movements or time periods. People have kind of figured out what they show. There's a pretty more stable level of taste that people are going to the, the things that they're interested in and buying them. So as long as that can continue, I think we'll see a much more healthy art market over the time. There'll be less of this kind of everybody in art is doing this and everybody in art is doing this other thing. And nonetheless, narratives can develop like like this one where um, groups of artists are being recognized that weren't before. Yeah, and I, I think it's worth touching on maybe why some of these older artists are being recognized because it's not as if it's completely divorced from the success of their male contemporaries. I mean, Anna, you sort of surface something that's quite interesting, which is that these artists' stories are in a lot of ways entwined with some of the most famous artists who are men. Yeah, that, that was uh, something that um, emerged in, in the paper and I heard from dealers as well that uh, one reason why these um, women are, are so appealing, um, I mean, there, there are several reasons. The first thing, of course, any dealer will tell you is the quality. I was just knocked, knocked out by the quality and, and so overwhelmed. And I, I don't think you can deny that, but of course, then you have to ask why that was overlooked um, in the first place, and you know the the answer shouldn't surprise anyone. Like the world is still a sexist place, and a lot of the gatekeepers, um, whether that's to museums or to the commercial market or uh, to broader public consciousness, are are men. You know, and by that I, I mean especially historically, critic really important critics. A lot of them were men. Um, you know, and there was a famous story of a a female gallerist who told Carmen Herrera that even though her work was terrific, she couldn't show it because she was a woman. Um, you know, so if you're, if you're thinking about why they're being recognized now, I mentioned, um, you know, museums are making a very concerted and conscious effort to, to correct for historical blind spots. And, you know, the, the dealers can tell their collectors, you know, I can, I can sell you a, a legitimate masterpiece, you know, on, a, on par with these, um, really famous and prominent male artists from these movements that have shaped art history, um, you know, but, but it's relatively um, affordable. Um, and there's also something that didn't, didn't get mentioned in the story because it just started getting really long, but I thought was interesting and, and it kind of affected me as someone who uh, follows, you know, news articles about women, reads histories, you know, biographies, memoirs, by women, um, I think there's just a broader appetite for women's voices and women's stories. Um, I've been watching, you know, news sites devoted to to women, female audiences um, proliferate in in recent years. 
one thing that Marta mentioned is these women have these very compelling, almost romantic personal stories where, you know, oftentimes they had some recognition. They weren't totally undiscovered, but they basically, you know, were just toiling away and, you know, in some cases more obscure, but often, you know, they were teaching, they were being shown here and there, maybe in their home country, you know, with a little bit of um, international exposure. Uh, but they, you know that they were just doing it for the love. And there's something very pure, you know, I think in an art world that's really um, feels and sometimes self-consciously like corrupted by money. The idea of this artist who's just been working away in obscurity and doing it for the love and the passion, like there's something really attractive about that. Um, you know, and people can can say, oh, she, she never sold out. She always just followed her own path. Um, and one artist I spoke to said, She's, I think, in her 70s now, and uh, she's a South African artist, um, Sue Williamson, who had a huge piece in uh, the Unlimited section of Art Basel that was really, um, people, I think, really, really found compelling. But she, she said, you know, when you're older, also, you realize you don't need to work for external validation or acclaim, and you just do what you want. And I think people really recognize when you're working, you know, the work comes straight from your heart and then they'll look back at things you've done earlier and say, hey, that was pretty good too. <laughs> this is something she'd seen in her own career. One of the things that's uh, a knock-on effect of the fact that some of these women have really incredible narratives of working on their own and relatively unrecognized and many of them fairly poor throughout the process uh, that, that one gallerist who deals in them mentioned to me at, at a certain point is that some of the condition of the works can be iffy. So, you know, it's, I think we're seeing the best of the best come out right now, but it'll be interesting to see as people get deeper into the estates, what condition, you know, paintings that haven't been kept in the right kind of climate have developed over decades. And, you know, whether or not that, maybe that's just ends up being priced into the work over time. Maybe that's something that we just take as a given as like, you know, we messed up in not recognizing them. There's a different expectation of condition for an older female artist work than uh, than a male artist work that's been kept in a hermetically sealed vault. Remains to be seen, but it, it was an interesting point that that I hadn't really considered, um, but that I think people will have to to wrestle with over time. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because that sort of highlights the ways in which these these factors kind of compound. So women are historically overlooked, therefore their work isn't taken care of. So let's say 50 years later, people are like, oh, maybe we should pay attention to this great artist. Too bad because we weren't, all of the work is damaged, therefore the proper due can never come. And it sort of feels like these kind of, that that's sort of what I was talk, asking you about earlier in terms of like a, an escape velocity getting out of these sort of cycles. It sort of feels kind of compounding in a lot of ways. But Anne, I want to ask you, because some of the things you mentioned, uh, especially the connection to older, more historically recognized male artists that some of these artists that you featured uh, enjoy. Do you think that the analysis that you've done will apply to younger artists as well? Or do you think that younger women will benefit from this uh, development? Or are there is there actually such a substantial gulf that, that or, or different factors driving the market that it's harder to say? Uh, it is hard to say. I think Alex's point that the, the collector bases are different um, probably pertains here. I mean, it's uh, there's still sexism in the world, despite newfound attention for women's voices and women's stories and, and women's work. Um, I, I don't think that we're at parity or, or even close um, in almost any field that I can think of. Um, and, you know, I think for 
for some of these artists themselves, you know, the, the ones that aren't deceased, um, you know, someone like Jetta Bratescu, her, her longtime gallerist said, you know, she's, she's happy that she is finally being recognized and she's like in her nineties. But one thing that's kind of sad is that she can't travel anymore to set up her shows or to, you know, be part of the fanfare or which, you know, I think any artist would have enjoyed that. So I think for the artists themselves, like it would be great to know that this is going to impact younger women or trickle down somehow. I mean, at the new museum right now, in addition to Carol Rama, um, they were at least as of last month showing a, a two other younger women artists at the same time. Um, I think that institutional focus on women, um, you know, if, if it's part of a broader corrective of showing more marginalized voices from across the art world, you know, that could include younger women as well. Um, whether that's going to also be as much of a factor in the market is not exactly clear because those those two things have different incentives. You know, institu um, institutions and museums have an educational, I mean, their priority is education. And so I think they take that more seriously. And Marta in her paper made a kind of cynical point of like, you know, if you're a curator and you curate a show of a bunch of old white men, you don't really get any like pats on the back. It's a lot more daring and audacious and innovative and au courant to have, you know, more diverse uh, selection of artists. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's interesting the point you just made, because definitely, at least in the media narrative as well, collectors who are collecting predominantly women artists or predominantly artists of color or what have you are the ones being celebrated currently. I think it's it's always interesting to see to what extent that actually matches up with a, a broad-based trend of collecting. And I also don't think that it trickles down from these older women necessarily, but there has been, even actually preceding some of these, uh, the older women coming up as, as kind of being the most talked about thing, female figurative painters had a big moment a couple years ago. Um, and there has been a lot of increased attention on the part of galleries to signing more women. I would assume that is because there is increased demand for, for women artists over necessarily. Um, I think people get kind of burnt on the young dudes. They'll be back, I have a feeling, unfortunately. All right, Anna, where are you going to be drinking white wine in the art world this week? I'm not sure if I'm going to make it there this week, but I'm dying to see the Ray Kawakubo show at the Costume Institute at the Met. I've only heard good things about it. It looks awesome. Alex, what about you? July 4th weekend, you got any art plans? No. <laughs> going to be, going to be doing some... Yeah, I'm going to be looking at Jasper John's flag all weekend long. Yeah, I, I'm going to cheat and do, because this weekend I won't be going to a museum, but last week I went to see... Uh, Age of Empires Chinese art at the at the Met, um, which was really cool, and it's right by the Ray Kawakubo yeah. show. So if you want to stroll over, I I recommend it. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks so much to Alex and Anna for joining us here. Please remember to rate and subscribe to Artsy Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave any feedback you have there; we'd love to hear from you. See you next time. Our producer this week, as always, editorial associate Abigail Kane, and the theme music is by Broke for Free. Mm -hmm.